morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And the area code here in Baton Rouge is 225. So just add that to the front of your phone number and you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Or put an 01 in front of that. You can reach from anywhere in the world. There you go. And I know last week we had a couple of international Several, calls. Several, yeah. Uh, one from London and one from Portugal. Uh, Portugal, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it was. And we always appreciate hearing from anybody, wherever you may be, if you're in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Bangor, Maine, wherever. Batan in the Philippines, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you may be, we sure appreciate your input to the show. It makes it a lot better for everybody. And I had an email this week earlier, Greg from California, and we had said that disabling the active fuel management, the displacement on demand on, on the GM, GM vehicles, yeah. was illegal. And he was nice enough to point out, he says, no, he says, in California, the BAR, which, which is the Bureau, Bureau of Auto Repair, has... Uh-huh. Granted, some kind of a waiver on that. Okay. And there are devices you can plug in which will turn this system off. Right. It does not physically take the components out the engine. Right. But it turns the system just, off where they will not activate. It blocks the command to it, and it sends an acknowledgement to the computer so it thinks that it's operating. So it doesn't keep check engine doesn't light on. Check engine light doesn't come on. And I tried to do a little research on this. Come to find out, because this particular system does not really affect... Emissions adversely. They Mm -hmm. felt that it was okay to do it. It may or may not affect the fuel mileage of your car. A lot of people say it really didn't affect it much. GM says it can knock it down 4% Uh or so. One other thing, if your vehicle is under warranty, it very well may void your warranty on your vehicle. So something else to think about before you just go do this. And it may also affect some of your extended warranties, like the catalytic converter warranty uh-huh. and the PCM warranty, which are sometimes up to eight years, 80,000 miles extended. If they find that this device damaged that computer, the, the then it's not yeah. going to be covered. So some things to think about. And I was thinking a lot deeper, because we work on an awful lot of these trucks. We have. I mean, we've worked on thousands of trucks that have that system really have not seen that big of a problem no when usually when they cause a problem it's a major problem yeah but well for the most part it seems to operate the way it was designed for a long time in every case that i have seen a problem with these systems the person who was operating the vehicle was pushing his oil change out somewhere around the recommended gm interval and as you you ask eight ten thousand miles yeah when do you change your well when the light comes on which is eight to ten thousand miles me personally, just my opinion, I think that's got a lot more to do with it right. than a system with an inherent problem. I know we've got a couple of fleets of trucks that we maintain we that do. have dozens of these trucks, and I don't think any of them have ever had, but they're all changing their oil at 3,000 to 4,000 miles sure. with full synthetic oil. Really hadn't seen any problem at all. Not yet. Now, another issue that kind of occurred to me, what this plug-in device does it simply keeps the system from activating correct but it's all still on there and it's all still still going up and down it's all moving all the parts are still wearing so i'm not sure that it's going to address the real problem if you're going to continue to push your oil changes out that far the lifters going up and down those little plastic trays. That's what keeps the the lifter from actually spinning, from turning on the crank on the yeah, not, on the camshaft ro- roller lifter, so it can't rotate. It has, right, and those little trays hold them in line with the camshaft. In every case, what we've seen, well, in vast majority of cases, what we've seen is those little trays wear out. The lifter flips around, then the port is no longer lined up, so the no lifter collapses. Off. Right, and you got a misfire. Yes. 
I mean, I guess a lifter could just fail, but again, you got to remember all this stuff is still going up and down. You haven't right. stopped anything except the system actuation command and acknowledgement that it is working. Right. All the components are still there. Now, you can also, I did some more research, you can actually, if you just hell-bent on doing it, delete the whole system from the truck. Mm -hmm. But that is a major, major, major undertaking. Sure. Way more expensive than a repair would be. Because you're going to have to not only take all the lifters and, and, and the replace all the active lifters, you got to change the camshaft. Because, Which is a major deal in itself. Yeah, four of those are ground in opposite direction than the other four on the banks that have the mm -hmm. active lifters. Also, they say you should replace the oil pump because it's got an extra high volume oil pump on that engine because when it starts dumping that oil out of the lifters, it dumps back to the pan. It's got a high volume oil pump. And I know everybody, oh, yeah, high volume. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Except that if you disable that system, your oil pressure may go sky high. You may start consuming oil. Or blowing seals. Or, or blowing seals or right. whatever. So it could be deleted from the engine. I just don't see a need for it. I guess maybe if your engine was catastrophically wiped out, the cam was wiped out, the lifters were wiped out. Well, if, the, if you were going to pull all pan and plug the, right. the dump passage and and put another oil pump on there, but I mean you can almost buy another engine for that price for something that probably is not going to happen anyway. And if you change your oil on a regular, regular basis, basis, is almost definitely not going to happen. Sure, at least in my experience, but. It's. I remember back in 1996 when GM came out with Dexcool, mm -hmm. which was a totally different yeah, from the green to the orange, and it was right. one of the first ones that did it, and it was totally different. There, oh man, that stuff's going to eat cool stuff. Everybody's purging out, putting the mm -hmm. green stuff back, and there was even some lawsuits. And in every single case, they lost. GM won. Sure. They're still putting. The orange cooling in them. Right. It's the same Dex cool from <clears throat> they were making in 96. Yeah, has never caused a problem. Right. It's just this myth gets out there and then everybody Something starts new. wanting to do yeah. it. It did kill a bunch of water pumps because when they went back to the phosphate type coolant, it was eating up the seals in the water pumps. Yep. So people are losing water pumps right and left. But yeah, you got to be careful who you listen to. Sure. It's very, very easy, particularly with the internet. Somebody can see a problem and immediately they've got an opinion on it. Oh man, this is okay. Yeah. You know, but well, they, you don't know the outcome. They're not taking a scientific approach. They're not saying what are all the factors here. Sure. You know, how often was the oil changed? Was the right oil used in the vehicle? All these and probably a thousand other factors that we're not even considering. Well, and you don't know the after effects. After we uh, did this, what happened? Well, that's right. Because that's most most of the time that information's not there. Well, yeah, and that takes years. It, right. If it is a short term of research by somebody who knows what they're doing, who can verify facts from fiction. Yeah. Sure. Well, from observation, because not everything you observe is a fact. Mm -hmm. You may see that okay, we've seen a fair number of these systems fail. But now, do we know under what conditions they were operated? Do we know what caused the failure? Do we know any of these things? And do we know putting this on there is going to have any effect any on it regardless? Yeah. See, we just don't know. But a lot of times, folks just want to jump to a, a quick fix. And they're very, very, I don't know, I guess it's just the American way. You know, hey, let's build better than it was yeah. before. Yeah, let's do something. But, you know, are you really doing that? Right. You're not necessarily putting back better because you disabled a system that was on the car. It's just a matter of, if you're just thinking about this, do all your research. Yep. And it's kind of hard to find. Biased information, well, really. I went on the Internet, and about the first six pages of Google are all sponsored by the company that makes this little programmer. Of course. There's even an ad in there where they will pay automotive writers to write articles about how good this thing is. Oh, that's the way it's always been. Yeah, they'll, they'll actually give them a little 
commission if they get an article published talking about you know uh-huh. praising this device. And I'm not saying the device doesn't work. I'm sure it does. It, it, it does did, work. It did get a BAR approval. Yeah. I'm just saying, are we creating a need in the market here? Right. Or is this a need that actually exists? <laughs> you know, because I just really haven't seen, I haven't seen an undue number of failures of that system over any other system that's out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, every part of a car can and does fail. Sure. And you've got the system, you know, that same system, if it's activating when it's not supposed to, mm-hmm. this little device will stop that. Right. But like you said before, you still have all the moving components right. that wear out. Right. So I'm not saying yay, nay. I, I can say it's definitely not illegal, but it will void your GM warranty. So mm-hmm. you might want to think about that if you do want to do it. And I thought about writing an article right. expressing my opinion, but again, it would be so far down on the list because they got all these paid ads that come up before it. I'm not sure it'll ever get read. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, just I wanted to thank Greg for pointing that out to me. Yeah, I don't want to ever hand out misinformation. My understanding was anytime you tampered with anything on the emission control system on the car, it, it was, was under the Clean Air Act illegal. Right. Because you can't even do anything to keep the tire monitoring system from working. Right. If the tire monitor system comes in working, it has to leave working. Yeah. If it comes in broken, you don't. You don't have to obligated to fix it. But you cannot do anything. I think the way the law is written, you cannot cause anything. You can't do anything to cause it not to work. Correct. Same thing with check engine light. You can't do anything to cause it not to function properly. Or you don't necessarily have to fix it if the owner doesn't want it fixed. Right. But you cannot do anything to cause it not to work. So. Anyway, for whatever that's worth, we're going to go ahead and take our first quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more on the Automotive Hour. If you ever plan to motor west. Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. All our lines are wide open, ready to go. That's it. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live answer this morning, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. That's right. Couldn't be any easier than that. And just to mention, next week we will not be here taking a little time off. I'll be out of state. So uh-huh. it will not be a live show next week, but we've got a recorded show that I think everybody will like it from years ago. So okay. most of our current listeners probably haven't ever heard it before. But if you do have a question, today today, today is, is the day to get it in there. That's it. Get a live answer. <laughs> That's anyway. right. Get a live, impersonal answer. 
personal answer, should I say, not impersonal. <laughs> so, anyway, disruption there. We've got, is it John? Hey, John, good morning. Hey, John, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yes, go sir. ahead. All right, all right. Uh, I have a 2019 Ford F-150 XLT Lariat. Okay. It's got the 3.5 EcoBoost in it. Mm-hmm. And I've been notified by Ford about a cam phaser field service action. Uh, the field service action is is there. It's a safety recall, apparently, mm-hmm. and uh, it's for cam phasers. And uh, I've got the it's a 21NO3 field service action. I didn't know if you guys knew anything about that. John, we get so many of those in. Yeah. Generally, unless I get a vehicle in with a specific question, I go to service data and look it up. But, I mean, we get literally dozens of those things every week. So it's just more than your head can contain. What a cam phaser is, it's just a little solenoid device that moves the sprocket on the camshaft to retard and advance the timing. And I'm sure if it's safety related, it's probably a leak that might leak on the exhaust, which would cause a fire. So that's generally, that gets Highway Traffic Safety Administration interested if there's something. You know, if it's just a part that fails a lot or a part that aggravates the customer, they're not too worried about it. But if it's something that involves safety, that's generally. So I'm assuming that's what it is. I mean, if you want to send me an email, I can go and look it up for you and tell you what it is. But it's going to be some kind of a free thing. However, a lot of times with these, what they do, they'll issue the TSB or the, it's not really a recall, the bulletin, and then they don't have enough parts to do it. So you call them and, well, we don't have the parts, and they'll schedule you three months from now. So And and in the meantime, they tell you don't drive it. Yeah, don't drive your car. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I've asked them five times, and they they say there's no safety, you know, true uh, impediment to the the vehicle's performance, mm-hmm. safety, or dependability. Because I pull a travel trailer as well, right? And uh, they they said just keep on. We, we can schedule you, you know, anytime in the future. But uh, but when you read online some of the forums for F one fifty boost, they're talking about keeping it for four and five days to do the repair yeah i can't see anything would take that long it's a relatively involved repair because you depend on which solenoid they're talking about which seal they're talking about i mean some of them are just right there in the valve car you pop the valve car and then take it out and again i'm not sure what they're talking about doing here if they're talking about changing the cam sprocket itself that would be fairly involved yeah. you have to take time and chains off but i would call them and just say go ahead and schedule it for me and i mean if they're going to keep my car four or five days i want to know about alternative transportation because this ain't my fault this is your fault. You're saying I got to have my vehicle in here. Where's my rental car? <laughs> you know, that's the way I would approach it. Right, and it's under warranty. The so mm-hmm. vehicle's twenty thousand miles on it. That's okay. all I have. So, so good there. Uh, I will send you an email. Maybe do some uh, research. But I appreciate the information. All right, John. Thanks for calling, man. Alrighty. Mm, bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, I have not heard of that one. But then again, we generally we get so many of those. I used to try to keep track of them, yeah, you and can't. your head would explode. Sure, I mean it's literally thousands and thousands of them. If you go back a few years, and so what we have to do instead is that when the vehicle comes in, then you punch up that vehicle and it's going to have a list of TSBs. You can hit sure. current or whatever and it's going to bring up all of them that are active. Case by case basis. And you may have to spend 15-20 minutes reading to ascertain to what we're even talking about here. So yeah, it's not, not something you just do routinely on every vehicle because you would cost so much money that people wouldn't want to. And if there's none, now what? Because it takes almost <laughs> as long to figure out there's none as it does to figure out there there's is There's something one. to deal with, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ford's had a fair amount of problems with the cam phasers on those motors. Yeah. Uh, over the years, I'm not too familiar with the newer ones, mm-hmm. but over the years they've had several problems with that and the timing chains and the timing chain guides. Yeah. A lot of it. 
I think is from running the wrong oil. All the old wrong oil filter. You know, I hate to sound like a broken record, but, but that's, so that's many of the to. problems yeah. I see today is because of the oil changes they're recommending. I mean, right. it seems to me they could just, and I guess the EPA is telling them, hey, we want to, want you to go this long between change or whoever Somebody's, makes yeah. those decisions. But it just it seems like people going way, way long, long, long way around the tree to try to solve yeah. a problem that's relatively simple, which is change your oil based oh. on your usage sure. and not the miles. Because there are people who can probably go five or six thousand miles pretty safely. They're well, I going mean, they're long, on the long highway. distances. Yeah, but the average driver, and you know, which really gets me is they they call that kind of use extreme use, but nobody really considers their driving extreme use. They no, consider they don't. everybody considers what they do is normal. But you got to look at the chart and figure out what consists of normal right and what consists of extreme well, if your average trip every day is less than 10 miles that may fall under extreme use sure, if you're in stop and go traffic that may fall under extreme use temperatures above 100 degrees right which in south louisiana it's like after three months out of year exactly you know sitting idling for long periods of time well you, know, you go through that red light on Corsi and uh, sherwood forest and and you're gonna be sitting there idling for well. a long time so you have to take all these factors in, and I wish they would go more to a a usage type. Yeah, yeah, more than more than a rather a than call extreme service, call that normal service, and then call the other ideal service. You know, under ideal yeah. service, we'll recommend this, and under normal service, this because what most people consider normal is actually is extreme under their definition, extreme. Yeah. So anyway, that seems to be causing so many so many of the problems we see are lubrication related. They are in the, one well, way or another. The lubrication another. systems do so much more nowadays. Right, they're not they just used to. not just all in the bottom end. That's it. In the time chain, like they used to. They're doing all sorts of different things. Well, they got all now. going everywhere, and it's doing all kinds of work. It's, it's moving cam phases. It's doing that. It's tightening belt tensioners. It, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's doing a lot, a lot of stuff. And at the same time, they're extending out the intervals. And what really to me, is the biggest problem of it all. They're basing all changes on mileage. Right. Period. Regardless. Which has just never been feasible. Even back when we used to change mile 3,000 miles, I guess it covered up a lot of that. But it's never been feasible to change your oil base solely on mileage. Correct. Without taking into consideration the way the vehicle is being operated. Because there are a lot of people absolute waste of money to change all over 3,000 miles. My car, I put 3,000 miles in Two weeks sometimes, yeah, because I travel a lot. Never takes much more than about a month or two. Well, I mean, every to time put you, five thousand miles. Every time you get in the car, you're going almost a hundred miles, right, without shutting it off. And if I go to Key West, Florida, well, that's eleven, twelve hundred miles one way. Probably driving seventy miles an hour. 99% of that, you that's, come back as twenty two hundred miles, but the all is like brand new. Right, that's ideal condition. Yeah, you're operating under ideal conditions, and as long as you're using a good quality filter, using a good quality oil that meets all the specifications, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. But the other guy who they get in their car and they go to work and they live maybe five, ten minutes. Yeah, ten minutes to work. Five miles. Because I find a lot of people do try to locate their home near their work or they sure. work near their home. It's just a very big advantage, especially with all the traffic we got. So they're driving short distances. If you're driving five miles one way, you start the engine up, it's at ambient temperature. So let's say this morning it's 70 degrees. That engine block 70 degrees. You crank it up. You drive it about five miles, and it starts to warm up, starts to warm up. Well, what happens to a piece of metal if you take it from cold to hot and let it cool back down? It condensates. Yeah, water's going to condense because you have a huge amount of humidity here. Mm-hmm. 
So the water is going to condense on the inside surface. Well, the oil is going to try to pick that up. It's right. got dispersants in the oil, so it's going to disperse. It's going to try to hold it in suspension, which is what it's supposed to do. Next time you crank it up, you go five miles, you shut it off again. Cycle so it, keeps repeating. Well, pretty soon the oil has absorbed so much moisture that it's moisture-laden, and now it can no longer keep it in suspension. It starts to attack the metal components in the vehicle. Exactly. And the oil filter, because it's a liquid, is not going to take it out. going right through that filter. Sure. Because it's a liquid just like the oil is. The only way to get that out, only two ways. One is to drain and fill the crankcase. Mm-hmm. Two is a long trip for at higher speeds for a long period of time. Because as you start to drive the car for long distances, what happens, the inside of the engine warms up anywhere from 240 to 270 at the cylinder walls. That temperature will boil that moisture. It's it's basically water, so it's Mm going to boil at 212 degrees. The vapors that are created are going to rise because they are hotter than the rest of the oil. Right. They go to the top. The PC system is going to suck them out or scavenge them. It's going to burn them up and kick them out the tailpipe. If you drive, say, 500 miles at 70 miles an hour, this will occur. Sure. It'll clean that all right back up again. But with those short little trips, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So that's why you can't go based on just miles. You know, a bunch of miles by short trips is absolutely horrible. A bunch of miles with a period in between sitting for a month is even worse. Sure. The vehicle doesn't get operated for a month. Because if, like me, I drive my car a whole lot each time, but if I put, say, 2,500 miles on it, let it sit for two months, and then put 2,500, I can't go 5,000 miles in that change. I have to change because now I've got a big interval in here without being used. So you have to base it on your use, and that will prevent so many of these problems that we're seeing today. It will. Hey, take our second quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Not noise of the river to ride. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a behind it. I hope Lewis Alvin with Mr. Brian Terry. Sure appreciate spending Saturday morning with us. And if you got a question or a comment on the show, give us a call. It's two nine one sixty nine zero one. All our lines are open. We'll get right straight to you. That's it. Right now is a great time to give us a call. We still got some plenty of time to get your questions answered thoroughly. Yeah, you made a very good comment during the break and talking about some of these little small almost insignificant parts on a car uh-huh. that sometimes get left off or don't get put back properly or someone doesn't understand how they work. Right. Either leaves them off or puts them on improperly and the problems they can cause. And specifically, you were talking about the battery hold down on most vehicles. Every vehicle has a hold down that holds that battery secure in the tray. Some means to keep it from Some means to keep it from moving around. or 
falling out of the tray. And a lot of those vehicles, the battery has a direct access to the fan mm-hmm. if the hold down is not there. I've seen those batteries fall out and get into the fan. Right. And it it just destroys everything well, because it breaks the fan. Well, destroy the battery, but well, it's it breaks, throws sulfuric acid everywhere. Exactly. And that's, point. that stuff's like spraying it with water. It gets in com- in different components and on different things. There's no unimportant parts on a car. They, yeah. they leave nothing off. No. So there's no reason to leave anything off after a repair. If that engineer decided that part had to be it because believe me they're under tremendous they are tremendous pressure to omit every possible part they can i remember engineer told me one time he says parts left off cause no warranty issues and don't break Uh so they have already left every part off the car they can it's engineered down to the minimum now if a part is on there it needs to be it on. It has to be on there. And, you know, leaving that battery hold down off also lets that battery vibrate. That's right. And that battery shaking around excessively will actually destroy it internally. Well, it's got very thin lead plates hanging down into the case full of acid, and there are plates between the plates. So all that stuff is, is relatively close together. That right. battery is made to be held in a firm position. If it's vibrating and jumping around, two of those plates swing on and hit each other, now the battery's dead. Exactly. So... Not only can it be catastrophic, as you said earlier, where it can fall into something, get damaged, sling sulfuric acid all over, it can, it's at very least it's going to shorten the life of your battery considerably. Yep. I had a guy come in one time, and he said uh, he was going through batteries right and left. Right. A expensive battery would last him about a year. That's what you drive the car every day. Yeah, I drive it every single day. And on and on and on, no real reason the alternator was, was charging, charging fully. There was no draw on the system. So we looked down, and the little retainer was missing right and so well, it's never been on there i said well that's probably why you keep eating batteries oh and I, I said okay well let's put one on there and see well we put the retainer in place which costs a total of about six bucks right next battery lasted three years how about that yeah 300 percent increase right there <laughs> just by yes yeah, anchoring six, the battery down six bucks and anchored the battery down. and this was on a gm car and the battery set down into a tray and it was kind of held in by all the stuff around right. so it couldn't physically come out but it was, it was bouncing around, around constantly. Mm-hmm. And the GM cars, at least this one, had a little plastic thing at the very bottom of the battery. With the boat A boat it. goes in. It's got like a it's got a set of ears on the bottom of that battery. Yeah, like a wedge. The bottom one catches a part of the tray, and then the other one, the little wedge goes down on it. When you tighten it down, it anchors that battery. Yep. Very easy to overlook. But they are. Like I said, there are no unimportant parts on and that car. If it's on there, it needs to be on there some of the batteries you actually have to take part of the vehicle apart to get the battery out of the right. truck speaking of trucks these the newer silverados with the batteries up on the passenger side back by the firewall mm-hmm. there's a brace that goes across the top that has to come off there's also a brace from the firewall down to the tray that has to come off and in a lot of cases you actually have to take the overflow the coolant jug mm-hmm. loose from the fender well move it out the way just to just get, get the battery out, out. And then it's got a hold down on the battery also. Well, and if this little plastic piece of wedge happens to fall while you're doing all while you're pulling on something and you drop on it. a truck, you don't notice it. Sure. You, if you're not totally familiar with the way a car is supposed to operate because you don't work on them every single day, you may not ever even notice it's gone. Exactly. Until the battery falls out and hits the exhaust manifold and <laughs> there, there you are. Yeah. Another big problem with that is putting the wrong battery in the car. Sure. In other words, if it calls for, say, a, a Group 78 or I forget what the, the new Group 90, 98 is. Well, you've got a 48 and you've got a 96 that will interchange. Right. But if you put a different group number, that clip may no longer work 
on that one. I have seen the cases change. So people will leave that off because it doesn't fit. They want it to put a bigger battery, which is a whole other story for another day. <laughs> exactly. Because the right battery is the one that the car calls for. Putting a bigger one is not going to do you any good. But uh, that happens as well. Another thing, kind of along those lines, if you ever remove the door panel on your car, mm-hmm. and a lot of times maybe the window quits working, maybe the switch quits working, you want to get in there and check some wires, you pull the door panel off. Well, the first thing you know is a bunch of little plastic clips that hold it on. Right. Not at all uncommon to break a few of these clips, pull them off. Now, don't make the mistaken idea that some will still hold it on. Because they're not going to. It needs as many as it's got. Mm -hmm. Those little clips are widely available. You go back to the dealership, give them your VIN number. You can get them just about anywhere. Almost everybody's got them. So you definitely want all those little clips put back on there. And probably even more to the point, you're going to notice when you pull this door panel off, get it out of your way, there's a piece of cellophane plastic. Right. That covers that entire door. Right. And it actually has an adhesive that it, it, it is adhered to the door frame itself. Right. All the way around. All the way around. And that is not just there by accident. It's just not something that just got stuck in there. That is a vapor barrier. Correct. Because the outside of that car is open to the weather and windows are not sealed. Where the window goes up and down, you'll see a little. You've got a felt. You've got a seal a little, that, that seals against the glass right. that keeps the biggest of it out. But well, water still gets in it. It keeps it from rattling. It keeps wind noises out, but it's really not a water seal. No, the water, gets the water goes it. right through there. It goes in, and the bottom of the door has some little holes in it that the water runs out. It's supposed to run out. It's supposed to run out. But if you take that vapor barrier off, don't put it back or tear it or rip it up. Mm-hmm. Now you've got moisture leaking into the inside of your car, which can cause electrical problems, mold, sure. bad smells, all kinds of things. Because so, the way that door panels, a lot of them go on, there's a there's a place in there where water could stand. Right. With that vapor barrier is not there. And like you said, point in case, you get water standing inside, the heat, the humidity, and before long you've got mold growing in the doors. Right. Which can be a much, much, much bigger thing. So, again, the point is, this seems like very, very, very simple stuff. And it is. Except that it's in there for, for a reason. reason. And not only is it in there, it's in there a certain way. Right. So if you yank it all out and you just kind of wad it up and stick it back in there, it's not covering that entire door, and it's not sealed down. I've seen some. We actually had a vehicle come in that the vapor barrier was gone, and the water was coming in the door, and it was getting past the door frame into the door panel, running out the door panel and into the carpet. Right. Because the the vapor barrier was gone. Well, that and you you're raising the humidity in the car considerably. So now corrosion starts to take place. Right. And these connections under the dash are not designed to be dealing with that kind of stuff. So you can start getting electrical problems and who knows what else. At very very least, take some duct tape or something and tape, tape up any tires. Try to remove it very very carefully. Right. Get like a putty knife and go around that adhesive seal and just gently pull back and go all the way around. If you can take it off intact. Lay it somewhere. Don't lay it down on the adhesive because now it's not going to stick gonna, again. Well, it's going to stick to whatever you lay it on, right. most likely. Which is going to generally then be you're a dirty, have, dusty surface. Yeah, then you're going to have to try to get it back off of there. So put it back exactly the way it was on there. If there's an area you can't get back, you can buy some adhesive, reattach it. You, you can. can take some duct tape, reseal it. Point is, it's not there just to look good. It's there for, for a reason. reason. You know, right along those same lines, almost every connector on the car has got a seal on it. Of some sort, yeah. Keep moisture out of them. One of the ones that reminds me, or I I see problems with all the time, people will start to get water in their car. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you ask, well, has the windshield been changed? No. 
Has the car been wrecked? No. So you start looking, and you see water in the trunk, and it's sloshing forward. It's coming all the way to the back seat. Sure. Okay, where's the water coming from? Now, a lot of vehicles, in order to get to the light bulbs, you have to remove the taillight housing. And then you can access the bulb once you have the whole housing it, out of it, the body of the car. It usually has three three bolt, three or four bolts that bolt the whole housing into the back of the, the body. Right. You take those out, you take it out, and that's how you access the bulb on a lot of vehicles. But what you have to remember is water is running down. It's hitting the trunk. There's a crack all the way around that right. trunk. Water goes through that crack, and it's like a little tray there with a big rubber seal. That seal is going to keep anything from sloshing over and getting in the trunk. But the water runs through that little channel. It goes right down and runs right across the top of that taillight, and then drips off onto the car. Mm-hmm. That taillight has to be sealed to, to the, the body, body of the car. Correct. Anywhere, anything from the outside passes through the body to the inside, there, there is, is going to be kind of seal. some kind of seal there. And you'll notice, if you're looking carefully, when you pull it off, there's either going to be a foam rubber seal or it's going to be some putty-type seal. Uh-huh. That has to be put back. And the nuts they use to tighten that down are big flathead nuts with a big washer. Right. Those washers have to have a seal in there because it can come right through that stud and come right around that washer. If it's not sealed, you start leaking water into the trunk of your car. Mm-hmm. Cannot tell you how many times we had folks come in with a water leak that nobody could find. Turns out the seals were going Somebody on the had had the taillights out. Either he had backed into something, cracked taillight, decided to change it himself, right. or... Uh, irresponsible shop changed it and didn't put them back in there. I've actually seen accident damage. You know, the, the pan wasn't straightened out correctly, and the water's getting past the seal. That's right. When they try, you know, the, the taillight fits in the body. It looks perfect and everything, but where it fits to the body, there's no seal. Well, and you also know it's like around the door hinges. Same thing. They're on the outside of the car attached to the door. The nuts and bolts pass through the body. Mm-hmm. Those have to be sealed. Yep. If you ever go to adjust a door hinge, you notice you're going to have to break some of that and he's a way to get it to move right. if you got the kind that can adjust. But that has to all be resealed. That adhesive has to be reapplied. If not, it can come in right around because it comes right down the A-pillar, runs right, right over right. that hinge, yep. and it comes right inside the car. Hey, we've got to take our third quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah, I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our general manager, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Talking today a little bit about things that maybe get left off uh-huh. or get damage because the average person works on a car rarely he doesn't understand the significance of all these tiny little small parts insignificant pieces uh-huh 
But you can always tell a really good mechanic because when he is through, he has no parts left over. Exactly. He doesn't have bolts. He doesn't have lock washers. He has nothing left. Everything, everything went back on the car. Right. Everything he took off got put back on where right it goes. back exactly the way it went, facing in the right direction. Yep. You know, that is the difference between a good mechanic and, and everybody else. Mm-hmm. He does not leave things off. He does not take it on himself to reroute stuff. He puts everything back the way that the way it goes. It and, of course, we'll take call any question you may have. We never limited to our topic at hand. We're talking a little bit about doors and sealing that. Right. Now, I'm about the water leaking past right. the... Down the A-pillar past the hinge. door hinge seal, mm-hmm. where the, the, the sealer is supposed to be across the top of that hinge, because that water can come down. If that seal's not there, it can go behind it, get between the bolts, and actually end up inside the car. There's also another seal there that is very, very important, and that is where the wiring harness comes out of the A-pillar and goes into the door. Right. There's a seal on both sides. It's and that a is a flexible connector in between. It is a specialty seal. It's mm-hmm. not just some seal you can go, you know, O-ring seal that seals the wires from rubbing each other. Right. This actually seals the weather from the outside to the inside. Right. And, and has to be flexible so the door can open and close it a does. million times. It does. And a lot of times those will either get torn or somebody's routing wires and they'll poke a hole in it yeah. and run a wire through it. Worst possible thing you could do. Now you no longer have a weatherproof connection there and when water water will find a way oh yeah <laughs> well if water so, didn't find a way we wouldn't have a grand canyon exactly water is going to win yep every time and it'll, <laughs> it'll end up inside that car and before long you got a car that you can't keep the carpet dry in well that electrical problems just miscellaneous electrical problem you can't trace down can't find because can't you're getting out. too much moisture in the car causing corrosion but yeah, that's another one. Again, anytime anything from the outside is attached to anything on the inside, there has got to be a seal got of some to be kind. Some type of a seal there. Another one that I find a lot of people overlook, and that is the vent behind the cab on, on the pickup truck. On the pickup trucks, yeah. Silverados, but all of them. Yeah, it's. What it is is the it, the cab has to have a way to vent, or you wouldn't be able to close the door. Right, when because you slam it's no the door, it's going that to air has build to go pressure. somewhere, and that air goes out of the vent that's behind the cab between the cab and the bed. Right, and after a period of time, there's a seal that goes around that vent that holds it into the back of the cab. That seal will tear, or it'll dry rot, or mm-hmm. it'll break, or whatever. The water comes off the roof, down the back glass, runs between the cab and the bed, and runs right on top of that seal. Right, runs inside the truck and. Sometimes it's a water leak no one can find. That's right. Because and you don't ever think about it. No, you don't think you don't. about anybody tampering with it, and it may not be obvious from the outside. You've got to look at it. You've got to get between the cab and the bed and really look in there and look at that seal. Mm-hmm. Those are really, relatively inexpensive yep. and relatively easy to change. Right. You know, I think normal do-it-yourselfer could, oh, could handle that job easily. I think so. Another right along that same kind of line is the third brake light. Yes. I know people will take those off sometimes to change the bulb. Some of them don't have a bulb in them. They're actually LEDs. Uh, Some have a bulb in them. But if you remove that and put it back on, you got to remember that was originally sealed to the body with a special sealer. Yep. It has to be resealed because that water will blow. It hits the roof of the truck. Wind blows it back. It's going to run down the back of the truck. When it runs past there, if there's a way, water's going to find its way in. It's going to run between the panels and it's going to come out at the floor somewhere. Sure. And you're not going to wear in the devil this water's coming from. Right. And nobody ever remembers, oh, yeah, I changed that third brake light bulb or <laughs> I put a different one on. Yeah. Another problem with that, I've seen people use a like an aftermarket lens, and it just doesn't, doesn't fit, right. fit right. It doesn't seal. And it can leak there. 
Another one kind of along those same lines, if you got a three-quarter ton truck or a one-ton truck, a lot of those have cab lights, uh-huh. a little light on top of the cab. Right, on the front. Yeah, and those don't give hardly any trouble because usually don't get tampered with very much. But if you do remove that, again, it's going to have to be sealed. Anything that blocks the outside from the inside is going to have to be sealed. Of some sorts. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing, not really a seal, but that's the brackets and the clips that go everywhere. I mean, there's there's hundreds of, of these things on yeah. cars. One of the big ones that comes to my mind is where that big wiring harness comes out on a Chevy pickup. It's got the, the clips that hold it up and support it. Uh-huh. And those are not on there just to make it look good. If you leave one or more of those off or break them, the wiring harness may now lay down across the valve cover or across the engine. And there's a, a bolt with a stud in it there, there that holds the coil pack to the valve cover, mm-hmm. and that wiring harness will set right on top of it. Right. And the vibrations of the motor running and everything... It will actually eat its way into that wiring harness and into the wires. It'll actually take the coating off the wires and start shorting wires out. Right. It's not going to happen tomorrow. No. It, it's no. going to probably happen six, six months to a year. And nobody's ever going to remember that repair that was nope. done. You know, why uh, is my battery going dead overnight? Or boom, the check engine light pops why on. Why is the check engine light on? Why do these lights not go off that mm-hmm. used to go off when I turn the car off? All these kind of little mysterious problems, and that can take a while to find. It can. Because depending, you got to trace down the circuit, then you got to figure out, then you got to figure out where in that half a mile of wiring that this has occurred. Right. All, and it all goes back to that one little spot. Right. The techs with the experience can go to it pretty fast, but the, the average do-it-yourselfer, like you said, it, it's going to be almost impossible to find. Mm-hmm. Not time, like the wiring harnesses under the hood, particularly there's generally a harness that comes out the left-hand side of the car and runs over somewhere to catch the stuff on the right. Sure. Many times it runs on the core support. And if all of those clips are not in place, that wire can fall down into the fans. Sure. It can rub on stuff. It can just do all kinds of, wreak all kinds of havoc. Yeah, and while we're outside, each one of those connectors outside of the vehicle body have a have, actually have two seals in that connector right, where it clicks together where the two pieces come together there's a big like an o-ring seal right in that connection and then where each individual wire goes into the back of that plastic connector is a seal there is a seal to keep the moisture and the corrosion from building inside it mm-hmm. we had a car it kept setting it was a, a buick of some kind kept setting a crankshaft position Mm-hmm. code, and of course, first thing the guy changed the, the sensor, sensor, still there. Then he says, well, maybe the cam sensor is bad. He changed the cam sensor. I think he finally even changed the PCM, mm-hmm. and light's still on. And it's not always on, but it comes and goes. Come to find out, somebody at some point had unplugged this connector. The little connection, the little seal inside it had fallen out of the road. Out. It got put together without a seal, and enough moisture had gotten in there to corrode the two connectors. Now, when you plug it in, you wipe a little bit of corrosion away, so it may work for a little while, but then pretty quick, copper is going to corrode if it's exposed to the atmosphere. Right. They would corrode up, and bam, check engine light back on. And this guy literally spent over over $1,000 for sure, and I don't know how much time. And by the time we found it, the connector was in such bad shape, we had to replace the whole pigtail. Right. So we get a new pigtail with a seal in it. We cut the wire, solder it in, heat Heat shrink it, it, seal it. So it's all sealed, yeah, and and that solved the problem. And that's, you know, that's something else about making repairs under the hood Mm -hmm. or making any repair. It needs to be water sealed. Yes. So make the connection, however the connection is supposed to be made, to the new harness, and make sure you get a heat shrink coating 
over it that has a sealer in it. Right. At very right. least, some very high-quality tape and just tape the devil out of it, but that's not as good as the heat shrink is. Right. So, yeah, heat shrink works really well. You slip it on two ends of your wire, you put them together, salt them, and then slip it back over. over and then heat it up with a heat gun, and when it shrinks down, it makes right. a good watertight seal. And some of the better ones, actually, the Have an adhesive sealant, in them. Right. The sealant will actually squeeze out, squeeze out the ends. Ooze so you, out. So, you, so know, you know it's sealed. You know that it's sealed. I see we're just about out of time. I'm going to get ready to wind it on up and get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written view, and fill it out for us, please. Well, we sure appreciate it when you do that. Let us know we're doing a good job. Also, it moves us up in the rankings so more people can listen. If you just can't find a rating on right. your site, then go to Google and just give our company, Agco Automotive, just give us a rating there. That works, too. That'll work also. Yep. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.